Welcome to the Urban Engine Podcast, propelling ideas forward. Hey guys, Urban Engine Podcast number three coming at you. I'm Matt McClellan. I'm here with Tony Everhart and Trey Sharp. What's up, guys? How's everybody doing today? Glad you're tuning in to us. Uh, we've got some fun topics to talk about. Um, this is going to be a good one, I can already tell. Yeah, I think so. Hard topics, though, really. Yeah, some hard topics, but some stuff that I think people want to hear, need to hear, uh, more importantly. Um, yeah, this is getting into a lot of the realities of, of entrepreneurship, right, and, and, and the stuff that can really help you. Uh, but, you know, it's not just the sort of high-minded, inspirational, yeah, yeah, you can go do it sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I think this is going to be great. This is the nitty-gritty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do like the reality side and kind of, peeling back the layers to show what goes on underneath. How do people feel? What it's really like. What it's really like going through it because, you know, again, we we were just talking about, you know, that social media perception. Everybody thinks that everything's perfect, you know, and you you look in on a business and you're like, man, that guy is just crushing it. And deep down, he wants to go jump off a bridge, you know, uh, because he's having a hard time with it, even if the business is doing well, right? Yeah. And so, you know, kind of our first topic here was talking about kind of getting out of a rut um, or having that kind of burnout feeling. Trey, you've never been in a rut, have you? <laughs> oh, man, sometimes you feel like you stay in a rut or stay burned out more than not. Um, I, you know, I think that's one of, the, one of the biggest challenges that you run into, because especially early on, right, you're doing like everything in your business. And, uh, you know, we were just talking before we started recording here. You know, I think a lot of burnout comes from doing things you don't really like or maybe things you're not that great at. Um, I've always looked at building a business, building a team, like building a toolbox, right? Uh, you know, you might be a really good hammer. Matt is someone I think of as a great hammer, right? Uh, but, you know, uh, if you're trying to function as a screwdriver or as a saw, um, and sometimes you have to do that early on, that, that's probably not going to go real well. Uh, you're trying to be a Swiss Army knife, and generally a Swiss Army knife doesn't do any of those things really well. Um, so talk about these tools a little bit, elaborate, <laughs> elaborate a little bit on the, the screwdriver, this hammer, this Swiss Army knife. Well, you know, just everybody's got different skill sets, and, and we all have things that come naturally to us that we enjoy doing, right? So, you know, um, you know, a hammer driving something into the wood, you know, it comes really naturally to it. A screwdriver turning something comes really naturally to it. Uh, you know, could you use a hammer to turn a screw? Maybe you could, like, angle it and, like, put the claw in there and turn the screw, or... If you're trying to cut a wood, maybe piece of wood, maybe you can just like break it somehow with the hammer, you know, mm-hmm. but it's not gonna be nearly as efficient as having, in, in the case of people, um, people that like to do those types of tasks. Like, you know, maybe you're the visionary and you like building mm-hmm. building a business, coming up with new ideas, uh, but there's a ton of people out there that are really more, they really love executing and operational stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, making sure the trains are running on time, not deciding where the trains are gonna go, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe, you know, you're the great visionary um, for putting together some sort of app idea, but somebody else is really more suited to build it, right? So, um, anyway, I, I really feel like when you're doing the things that you're not really built to do, um, you know, it puts you in a lot more likely state to burn out because mm-hmm. you're doing stuff you don't like. And if you're doing stuff, and if you're doing stuff you're not good at, you probably don't like it. Um, you know, and, and all that changes when you can start to kind of change that, that team structure. What, what, what about you, Matt? I, you're a hard-driving guy. You know, you've got a, a very um, a, a business that's doing a lot of things every day, right? You know, you've got teams out there that you're trying to manage. How do you, how do you deal with burnout? Yeah, so, you know, in the, the last three years have been extremely tough. 
And I would say at least two years of that, I was definitely in a rut. Um, you know, at first, three years ago, when we had uh, kind of some bad news for the business, there were six months where I was going harder than ever. I mean, 100 plus hours a week every week. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Like, literally, I was not sleeping. I mean, I was so driven to fix things that I was just in it every single day. And now some people may say that that's what led to that burnout. I don't really think that that was it because we were crushing it. And we were really making some ground up. Like, looking back on it, it's amazing that I survived, that everybody on my team survived. Like, we were running hard. Um, it was like running the supercharged car full, full wide open, you know, constantly. Um, but, you know, we were changing the oil appropriately. Like, we had plenty of gas, you know. Um, but it, after that fact, somehow I got into this rut of doing all these menial tasks that I don't like. Um, out of necessity, right? Like I was trying to cut costs, I was trying to get things done faster. Um, I didn't really know who I could trust at the time, so I was getting things done, like it had to be done, and I had to be the guy to do it. So I, I got stuck in this rut of all of these things that I hate doing, and uh, man, it just really made me unhappy, and I got stuck there for a long time because I didn't realize that that was what was causing so, so this feeling. So when did you realize that you were in a rut? Because I can imagine that after going that hard for so long, and you, you know, you're probably not spending much time on self-awareness of how am I feeling right now, you're focused on the business, right. you're focused on success. When did you realize that there had been a shift from you just being in it to all right, I'm feeling a little bogged down. You know, I would say, obviously, you t typically start to examine things when they're not doing as well anymore, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's when I realized how I felt on top of everything else. It's like, things aren't going as well anymore. I feel like garbage. I don't feel like I'm doing anything meaningful. Uh, but more or less, you know, I just kind of copped that term that gets tossed around so often, burnout. Um, and there were other people around me in social situations that were burning out too. And so, yeah, it's just really easy to adopt that and go, yeah, I'm just burned out. Like, mm -hmm. I just need to figure out how to not be burned out. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I'm in burnout. Like, everybody just tosses around this stupid word. And, like, you know, I, when I was listening to most recently uh, one of Grant Cardone's books, he was talking about he didn't think burnout was a real thing. He feels like it's a term that people who don't get it put on other people. And I think that there's some truth to that because, you know, it's not like my body was just giving out and, like, I was done with the business and, like, I should just go give up and lay in a corner. Like, that's what I feel like the term burnout, you know, kind of describes and defines for people or what people who don't have any idea what that's really like. Uh, when they put that on you, that's how they feel that you feel, mm -hmm. right? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And, and so, you know, but looking at it, it's really just one of those things where you're just doing things you don't like anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. and you're not in the meat of it. Like everybody has those things that make them happy. Everybody has responsibilities that they don't like to do, right? Um, I hate mailing things or, or doing paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Like I hate it, I'm really bad at it. Like you could literally hand me a, I mean the accountant all the time gives me checks, ready to sign, postage are already on it. And like I'll like sign it or like stick it over here. Next thing I know I forgot to mail it because I'm just terrible at mailing things. And uh, you know, that's, Anyways, just all the things that you don't like to do, that's what leads you to that, what I feel like is the burnout stage and that rut. And, you know, what's interesting, Tony, is you asked me, how long did it take me to realize that I was in that stage? Actually, not that long. I think that, you know, uh, 
six months of hard driving and then like six months of in this rut, I realized I'm in a rut. Like I am what I feel like is burned out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that lasted a lot longer than that, like probably an additional year after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like 18 months. It's like a cycle. Yeah, like 18 months of being in that zone and like with, with occasional wins, like, you know, certain things like I'd get back into it. And then I realized like this is the side of the business that you really like. And at the same time, my team developed differently. And I had people who could also help me get some of those things done that I don't like doing. Mm-hmm. And that's as I started to kind of extract myself from that part of the business into the side of things that I do like and started creating again, I realized that like this vigor that I was, I was kind of getting out of this was just completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would say the last six months have been significantly better and I've been in a much better state because I am creating again because I am getting back to what I like to do I like to create I like to build I like to do things um, if I'm not ever creating and doing something new I'm, I'm bored I'm stagnant and then you add in menial tasks that you really don't want to focus your time on or feel like that you're not the best person for mm-hmm. I mean we talked about outsourcing before and like yep. man if you don't outsource the right things and you just end up doing them yourself I mean that drags you down in that rut like yeah my mom used to describe it as burning at both ends. So for me, like I also experience burnout when I feel pulled down or anchored to some of those menial tasks that I think I've mastered already, mm-hmm. right? So whether that's, oh gosh, mailing something to use your example or um, a particular marketing tactic or something that is working really well, we've got it down, it's a system, I don't need to do it anymore. But if I still have to manage it and I can't focus on what's next, I'm burning at both ends and I'm feeling like I can't cover all these things when really I want to be out there on the edge and I want to discover what's going to be the new thing that we do. Um, so, so, but what happens when you still have to do that? You know, you're yeah. still covering all the bases. How do you take a break from something so that you feel charged again? What does that look like for you, Trey? Well, you know, I, I've, you know, as far for me, I've been a lot like Matt. I, I'm most excited by you know, creating things. So I've tried to kind of live by the, uh, the Tony Robbins mantra of, you know, if you're being successful, you should be creating opportunities for other people as you go. So if you kind of get to where you've built a system or you've built a part of your company, at a certain point, you should be turning that over to other people or you should be successful enough to, you know, pay other people to do that and you go build another part, right? Um, but you know, I, I think it's it, it can be difficult. I, I've been um, I've been in the situation of managing a couple of you know people that were once high performers. I would say you know that were just what I would consider burned out. You know, they had been doing the same thing for 10, 15, 20 years, and um, you know, and they were essentially topped out. Right, they, they didn't have anywhere else they could really go to do. And, and I think it, you know it becomes I don't, I don't know Matt or Tony what you know what what you become like as you start to feel burned out. But uh, I know for me, you know, I start to become like kind of irritable. Uh, I've seen this with other folks too, you know, where it's like, it's almost like a bad relationship, you mm-hmm. know, it's like. And it can well, certainly contribute to that as well. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> but it's like a bad relationship in that like, you know, sometimes you're, you're not really be like, oh yeah, screw this, I'm out, right? But it's like, then you just start picking these day-to-day fights, you know, you start like, you, you, you kind of, fixate on maybe you blame your employer or maybe you blame maybe you blame your customer sometimes right or maybe you blame you know who knows uh, uh, but a lot of times we don't really sit back and be like oh well I should just get the hell out of this situation you know you, you, you kind of start to externalize that blame onto someone else and then that can become 
really negative, right? Because now you can start to be irritable with people. You can start to like pick fights and do stuff that's like not even in your character. And you know, at that point, it's like you know, you got to do something else. You got to find some outlet that, that satisfies you. Or like, if you're topped out and you're in you know a dead end position in your company, man, you got to find some outlet or something. Another thing I've heard Tony Robbins talk about is that. As people, we have to feel like we're making progress, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like a common component of burnout. Man, I live by that. It's when you feel like you're just going through the motions every day, mm-hmm. and it's and, and ten years from now is going to be the same as today. And uh, you know, I, I, I think a big part of getting getting out of that burnout is to at least feel like in some part of your life you're making progress. You know, uh, everybody's got these stupid Instagram taglines of like <laughs> what 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 represents them, or like you know whatever in the description. And mine's motivate, inspire, accomplish. And that accomplish part is so big for me. Like I tell people all the time that I have to be achieving or I'm not happy, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and I think that goes for everybody. And it's hard to achieve all the time. But, man, if, like you said, if you're not making progress, man, like that's, that's, that's that key to feeling alive there. And I think everybody... No one you know, wants to run on a treadmill. For some people, it might not be their career. For some people, it might be the gym or it might be... <clears throat> uh, band or like catching a bigger fish or whatever it is right like literally like maybe they're into fishing uh, or you know lowering their handicap you know it might not be their career for everybody but I think all of us we've got we've got to feel like we're making progress in something and if you ever if you ever get to that point where you don't feel like you're making progress anymore you you need to get into something that you can feel yeah Trey you you actually brought up a good point too right and I think that that what you talked about it maybe isn't work for everyone and of course the three of us sitting here right like we all are very driven by what we're able to accomplish professionally this is entrepreneurial right. based podcast yeah. so yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but for a lot of folks it maybe isn't about work and you know like maybe it is about it is about fish or it's about um you know i don't even know what else but um give some achievement in an xbox you've got to know whatever. why like you've got to know why you're in it to begin with, and I think that if you have that solid foundation of understanding, we talk about this a lot, if you have that solid foundation for yourself of understanding what it is that's driving you and what you want to accomplish, is it is it, you know, dollars, dollars in the bank? Is it building something? We talked, you know, last week about the, you know, building something for your your children or for the next person who's gonna come in behind you. But that can really pull you out of that rut is being able to say, this is what's driving me. I've gotten away from that a little bit because I've been bogged down in the monotony of trying to do all the little things. It's time to get back to what really this is about for me. Yeah, and, and having those checks and balances can be a great thing there too. Like obviously your spouse you know, would, would let you know like, hey, Trey, you're being an asshole. <laughs> like, what is going on? And that's when you might click for you and be like, you know, I'm in kind of a rut right now, and I'm taking it out on everybody else. There's actually been a number of times where I think that's so important. Have, have a spouse or a best friend or something. There's been a number of times where, you know, Claire has been like, you know, hey, you just don't you know, seem like yourself or whatever. And even I haven't realized that something's oh, yeah. going on. But then yeah. I start talking talking about or just trying to figure out why I'm acting that way. And then I figure it out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's so important. Man. Yeah, and and and, and also, yeah, and even employees that can give you that check too. You yeah, know, totally. I think uh, it came to the point where like scheduling was bogging me down for multiple reasons. Like one, I didn't have a good pulse on like what shifts people like to work because I wasn't managing them directly. My managers were, and at the same time, I was getting these things where like someone wants off in in two days, 
that they didn't request off for, they didn't follow procedure. And I'm like, sorry, you're not getting it. You know, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove a point here. And, and it just, it was, it was ruffling people's feathers. I was ruffled from the get go because I didn't like the schedule. I wasn't getting it out on time. And then the manager's like, hey Matt, we can handle the schedule. And I'm like, absolutely, please do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and it's been so much better. And then they've also seen where, you know, this this guy wants off next week. And like, hey man, you didn't put in your request. Like. You, you got to have it in on time if you want me to accommodate that for you. I'll accommodate you this time because I can, but next time, no promises. And it solved a lot of those issues that were popping up, whereas I was just getting irritable, which is then further inflaming the team. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not good for anybody involved. But, you know, you, you kind of touched on a, <clears throat> a big part of that, like what, what helps get you out of those ruts, and like yeah. what, it, what kind of inspires you. You know, uh, we were talking before the podcast that a lot of times where – if I'm posting like something leadership material wise or uh, motivational wise, like a lot of times it's not because I just want to put that persona off for people that like this is who I am. It's a lot of times it's for me because I need that check or mm-hmm. I need that motivation or inspiration at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the majority of the time, you know, and, and I think it's a good message to share. Um, but that's where I've been searching through trying to find something to like get me back on the right track because I do realize I'm off track. I do need to focus my mindset. So, so it sounds too, and we didn't talk about this, but it sounds like if you have some awareness around being in a rut, is it almost instinctual for you to go out and try to research things or inspiration or, or look to someone that you respect for their success and learn from them? Like, do you seek out those quotes or those blog posts or are you yes. looking for that connection from somebody who's like, oh, what did they do to get out of right? <laughs> so, sometimes, yes. Uh, it's not always situational like that. A lot of times, too, though, I've just already surrounded myself with good material. You know, like some of the, the people that I follow on Instagram, for example, there's a lot of good things on a daily basis, um, you know, both, both face-based and also entrepreneurial-based to where and I see these messages on a daily basis. Um, you know, it really helps to keep me back in focus or it may just happen to strike me right on that day mm-hmm. where I need it most mm-hmm. and I, I see that message pop up and I'm like man mm-hmm. couldn't have been better timing yeah um, but and, and, I, and I really think you know at that uh, at that tactical level for me I, I feel like it, you have to somehow get a step back from it at a certain point you know it's so easy to we just have this inner monologue running in our head all day right and if you ever try to like uh, do any meditation you know that's a big thing that's in vogue and, and entrepreneurship right now and I just finished this book called 10% Happier that's sort of about that. Uh, it's, it's a really good book. But, um, you know, I, I think if you do something, you know, it can be a, you could take a trip. A lot of times it can just be a good workout. You know, I know Matt uh, uh, is, uh, does a lot of workouts. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's so easy, like, when you're in it, you know, when you, a lot of times you can't see the forest for the trees. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a cliche, right? But mm-hmm. when you're just in the trenches mentally every day. That's so accurate. Though. And then if you, you know, if you ever can take a step back mm-hmm. from it, like, stop being the thoughts and kind of start to watch the thoughts you you, you kind of realize like okay maybe i'm overreacting to this mm-hmm. right or maybe mm-hmm. i'm you know or you just can get some clarity of like oh well you know i'm stuck in here and i'm miserable but oh there's a door right over there i just gotta you know walk out the door or whatever uh you know but, it, but it's just there's something and, and i don't i don't know the the best way to do it for everybody it's probably different for everybody whether it's you know Go go take a take a trip somewhere and be be alone. Whether it's you know maybe it's go with friends and talk about it. Maybe it's uh, meditation. Maybe it's you know workout. Maybe it's other stuff. But try to find a way to take a step back from being well, in the, the the heated fire of mm-hmm. the thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think sometimes too, you don't even have to approach approach the situation directly on like 
sometimes I've just asked like Trey or Brandon a coffee mm-hmm. or lunch and like mm-hmm. we had lunch and we didn't really discuss my issues at hand but just like talking with them hearing what's going on in their life like right. that was enough to kind of get me back in the right mindset mm-hmm. um, you know because I think that when you do get in that rut too you almost have a theft by comparison of everyone else and so mm-hmm. sometimes it's good to sit down with Trey and you know for him to be like yeah, man, I'm having a hard time right now with this, this, and this, but, you know, I'm also doing this. This is going really well. I mean, you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Everybody has struggles. Yeah. <clears throat> and it kind of it kind of fortifies, that again, that you're you're human, For you sure. know. I'm a but, big fan of sharing your struggle. That's something yes, that, in yes. my head, I think about all the time. I mean, because we're all just searching for connection. It's so hard, too, especially for folks who are in that startup stage where, like, it has to be going great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? So even if, like, the house is on fire, like, to the rest of the world, everything is great. It's yeah. going so awesome. And Lots then, of growth. And, yeah. and, and, and that's probably the biggest trap of social media today, right? Because like none of us are going to go to social media and just be like, post something that makes us look horrible, you know? Uh, or if you do, people are like, oh, that person's whining or something, right? Like, why, why are they or doing that? Or you worry about being perceived that way. Yeah, totally. You know, but, but, you know, so you see all this, everybody's like posting, you know, uh, their couple's selfies and they're doing all this great stuff and, you know, uh, everybody's talking about how great their business is and all this kind of stuff, you know, and you, you feel like you're connecting with these people. You feel like you're hearing what's going on in their lives when you go look at your Facebook feed or whatever. But um, when, uh, you know, if you just went to lunch with that person, like, like Matt was talking about, then they're like, oh, man, you know, I'm really struggling with this right now. You know, I, I'm really having a hard time at work or I'm having a hard time at home or whatever. And then you kind of get the real connection. And then you're like, oh, yeah, it's not this idealized version that I see on Instagram and Facebook, you know, that other people, even these people I really look up to, right, like they've got, uh, they've got big struggles too. Mm-hmm. And I, I think actually that kind of segues into one of our other topics here on like wanting to quit, <laughs> you know, I, and, and because I, I do think that, you know, sometimes the, the best way of getting out of those ruts has been to talk to somebody who's maybe not even in, in entrepreneurship yet, like, but wanted to pick my brain about something mm-hmm. and ask me to coffee or lunch or beer or whatever. And, you know, we start talking about something and then, you know, they actually pull me out of my own thing and like, wow, that's incredible that you've done that because I never take that time to really look at what I've accomplished. You know, uh, I've kind of been told in the past, like, don't forget, don't ever forget how you got there. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but we, we so often forget how we get there. And then also what we've accomplished. Like I don't weigh it on a daily basis and be like, heck yeah, Matt, look at that. You know? <laughs> like, in fact, I don't, I don't do that ever. And so when, when someone does actually pull you out of your own head and like, man, that's, that's actually pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you take a step back and you look at yourself and you end up inspiring yourself. Strangely. Yeah, I mean, that's the power of staying humble to a certain extent too. I, I'm a big fan of that as well. It's just uh, you can build things up in your head so much and keep raising the bar for yourself. But if yeah. you just take every day one at a time and stay humble and just stay Matt, stay Tony, stay Trey or whoever, um, listeners insert your name <laughs> yeah that, that, that's a that's a really good point it ties back into what we we're talking about earlier about our desire for progress right it's like our greatest strength as a species because that's where all the progress comes from but it's also like our greatest source of misery right because mm-hmm. like you're always thinking about what's that next goal i want to hit what's that next metric what's that next achievement mm-hmm. you know and so you're always focused on that and you're beating yourself up why haven't i got that yet oh man i'm not maybe i'm not going to get it and then but then you take that step back you know like matt was just talking about and you're like, oh, yeah, I did do all this this other awesome stuff that got me to this point. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a failure, right? I, 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 I have done these other good things, you know. And maybe it's as simple as, like, hey, I'm a good parent. Maybe I'm a good, you know, 
uh, employee of my other business. Maybe I'm, you know, doing this, whatever it is that you're into, right? Maybe I've been successful, you know, but I think we could get so micro-focused into whatever that next thing is we want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. You phrased it perfectly with you can't see the forest for the trees. And the first time I ever heard that, I thought it was the most Southern expression I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I think about it too, like like the salmon ladder in Ninja Warrior. You know, they're on the pool bar and they're jumping up this, this thing, right? The next rung, the next rung. And if you don't make it to that next rung or you're stuck, you, all you can think about is you're not, you can't get to that next rung, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's the same thing we do with, like you said, pushing our goals up over and over. But if you were to turn around and just look down and see like how many rungs you've already climbed and like mm -hmm. how far you are from the ground, that's where that other person is coming from. Like, man, that's impressive. And you're like, right. I can't get to this next rung. No, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. And you're like, hey, I've already climbed 10 of these things, yeah. you know? And, and, and we just keep setting that bar higher, literally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're stuck trying to get to that next rung not even realizing how many rungs we've already climbed. So what do you do when you're on that rung? I mean, okay, so I kind of want to just ask a candid question. Go for I it. I already know the answer, though. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to quit? Absolutely. When was the last time you wanted to quit? Uh, probably a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, maybe a couple days ago. Like, You know, it's, it's one of those things where anytime you're running into major frustrations, um, it, it can get hard, you In know, like, like, like for a Paralab example, like, you know, I just got a third printer, all right? Super pumped about it, scheduled the jobs appropriately. One of my printers has an issue and goes down right in the middle of this. The new one that shows up has an issue and I can't use it yet. And then I'm down to one printer instead of three. And I have all these jobs <laughs> lined up and I'm so frustrated. I'm like, this is a bad idea, Matt. Like, what are you getting yourself into? Yeah. You know, I'm like, I have made all these promises. Like, I've got to get these things done. And, you know, you can sit there and you can dwell on it or you can find solutions around it. And Thankfully, I'm pretty hard-headed, so I'm just going to keep beating at it until I find a way to fix yeah. it. Um, but, you know, I, when it comes to, like, absolute, I literally, and this is probably three or four months ago, literally sat down to dinner with my parents one night when they came in town, went out to Monkey Fresh, and my stepdad leans over the table and goes, so do you even like what you're doing anymore? And, like, my first reaction was, not really. And <laughs> the next reaction was to, like, punch him for why would you even say something like that and my third was like do I even have a choice yeah. you know yeah. and and, yeah. and I was just I, it was because I was in a period of frustration and like yeah it's not always fun you know and we were talking before about you know this social media picture everyone paints of entrepreneurship and how it's so great and the cars and the, and the nice things and the trips and well, shoot, I haven't gotten any of that real, real glamour yet, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, and I don't think that the, that's that's true entrepreneurship, anyways. Like that's someone's lifestyle, mm -hmm. and you can create that lifestyle regardless of what you're really doing. You don't have mm -hmm. to be some super successful entrepreneur to do that. Mm -hmm. Like I could live super frugally and still go on these crazy vacations and buy, you know, wild, wild things if I wanted to and spend my money on that. But that's not where I'm focused, you know. But as far as like what real entrepreneurship looks like, yeah, I've wanted to quit a lot of times. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of times where I've, I've made that mistake that I felt like was the fatal flaw and I thought it was it. And I wanted to quit mm -hmm. or I wanted a way out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we're, we're programmed as a human to be, you know, kind of subversive to uh, any kind of failure. Like, so in my mind, I still have this mental picture of, you know, it, when you're on that rung, Ninja Warrior, you know, mental image, you're, you're there and you've got maybe two ahead of you and you're thinking there's no way I'm going to make it to that next rung. So what is it? You have two, well, you have two options. Yeah. Well, three options. One, you can sit there and hang. That's only going to last for so long. You're right. gonna, your grip's going to get tired and you're right. going to fall. You can let go and drop off and, and plan to try to land, mm -hmm. right, and, and, and give up. 
or you can muster whatever energy you've got and give it everything in one kip and jump that damn rung. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I said, I'm very hard-headed. So when I get in these places, I, you know, I've told people before, when I do get frustrated, I give myself like a 10, 15-minute pity party. Maybe that leads up to an hour sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I do let myself wallow in it a little bit. And then I, I reverse my mindset. Picturing you know? Matt in this, this pity party right now. Yeah. yeah no, I, I'm like sitting there, you know, thinking about what a failure I am, like how much I've messed up. Why couldn't I do things the right way? And that'll last for a little while. I'll let, and I'll let myself sit in it. And then my mind will start to wrap around it and be like, so now what? Right. Yeah. What are you, you know? going to do? What are you going to do, 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 man? Right. Like, you, I think that's smart to just kind of give into it for a bit, acknowledge it, I then like put it on the to. shelf. And, then go and for me done, too, right? because, I, because I'm competitive and because I don't like to quit, that, that almost motivates me, letting myself wallow in it. It really fires me up. And so then I'm like, you got to move through it, man. Like you got to find a way around mm-hmm. it. And so that's where I, I'm like determined to get – away from that quitting mentality again, mm-hmm. figuring out what's going to push me through, what what's going to you know, get me past this barrier, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a, a mental barrier, an actual you know, a physical barrier of some kind. Like you know, more recently with the USDA coming in and being like, hey, you guys can't operate like this for, for live fit meals. And I'm like, okay, so how do we fix it? And they're like, well, there's not really, this isn't like an easy fix. And I'm like, okay, well, there's a solution somewhere here. You're like, we're going to find it, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's just one of those things where you've got, got to, got to get out of that mentality. But everybody goes through it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to paint the picture that I don't want to quit often. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does happen. It happens in, in workouts too. I mean, the other day, literally, you know, I've been in the CrossFit Open for the last five weeks here. The fifth workout was just brutal. And it's one of those things. It's a combination of two movements that will literally just drive your heart rate through the roof and make you feel like you're dying. Like mm-hmm. in the middle of the workout, I felt like I suddenly had asthma for the first time in 31 years. Mm-hmm. And Sounds amazing. Yeah, <laughs> totally amazing. <laughs> totally amazing. And, and I was like, you know, I kind of hope my hand rips on this bar so I can quit. Like that literally went through my mind. It was like, I kind of hope my hand rips so yeah. that I can quit this workout because I don't want it anymore. Yeah. You know, and it's not, it's not often that I back down from something like that. Um, but it, it's again, that, it's that quitting mentality. Sometimes we get to that part and like, it hurts. Mm-hmm. Like entrepreneurship hurts. Mm-hmm. It does. And, and it brings up something I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, kind of sparked off by some of our speakers in 3210 speaker series is, you know, I, I, I think the, just the simple fact of any kind of entrepreneurship is it is hard. And just the realities of our psyche, the way our minds are made up, is you're going to want to quit at some point. It's just going to happen. You know, don't go into it with this rosy expectation that you're never going to want to quit because you are. So, you know, that's why you need some accountability around what you're doing. You almost need to be forced to continue, or it needs to be hard to quit, right? Because we've, mm-hmm. all, we've all had things in our life. It could be a workout. It could be some side project you're working on, and you're not working on it with anybody. You don't have a workout partner. And it's just, you know, it's just really easy to just be like, you know what, I'm, I'm too busy today. I'm not going to do it today. Have you ever actually, I don't feel like doing it. Have you ever actually thought through the process of what it would look like for you to quit? Like, you're like, oh, I yeah. want to quit. And you're like, oh, this is what's yeah. going to have to happen. <laughs> That's right. This is yeah. what's going to have to happen yeah. in order for me to quit. And, like, you figure it all out. And then at maybe at the same time, it's talk like, yourself out of it because that's harder. It's realistic, right? Yeah, yeah it's harder. You know? It's harder and, to and quit. Like, like, we're kind of – and you hear this a lot of fitness stuff, right? Like, we're, we really don't have a ton of willpower. So it's like you really need to set your life up so that it almost takes less willpower to keep doing what you want to do than it does to – uh, that to, to, you know, to quit, right? So, you know, I think about, you know, Glenn Clayton, who we had recently, you know, and Appleton's become a $50 million a year business. But why did it start? It started because he was on scholarship at UAH. 
they wouldn't let him get a job because he was on scholarship and he was like hey I have to like have like food and shelter and stuff right, <laughs> right. so he started you know tutoring and uh, you know it came out because he had to you know uh, Amanda Howard right she you know her and her husband were cooped up in her parents house and you know that the, the, they could they didn't have the money to go put a down payment on their own place uh, had, you know they she had to go out and figure out how to sell some mm-hmm. homes and make some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like Matt Landers, Covalence. They, they had raised millions of dollars from Microsoft, they, uh, 1.8 or whatever. They had basically spent it all on mm-hmm. something that was not going to work, and they were down to, they didn't have, they, they had basically no money left, and they were like, we have to like find something that actually works right, now, and will right. actually make some money. You, you have know? no other alternative. Yeah, yeah. So, or, or you just have to, you know, you have to have this tremendous failure and let investors down and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think there's really something to be said of if you really want to build a business or you really want to create something successful, like, you know, there's the old story of the, the Roman, uh, you know, the, the Roman captain that landed his legion or whatever, and he, like, burned the boats behind them, mm-hmm. and they, 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 they captured the island. I can't remember which island it was. but Man, that's the most clear-cut picture of failure is not an option that I've ever seen. Yeah, that's right. But I think there's really something to that. You know, you, know, you, you land, and you're like, hey, like, we're taking this island, or there's no way back, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, I, I mean, I don't think you want to just be totally foolish and like you know, throw in all all your money and like totally bankrupt your whole life if something fails. But 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 make it hard on yourself. Hey, to, however, to there, quit. You, you know, know if it's something you really want to do, make it hard on yourself to quit. Right? But Elon Musk is one who's literally done that, right? That's true. That's very true. Came in his last dollars, and then I think even borrowed after his last dollars with yeah. failing business. You know, and and just like we have no other option than to make it work. Yeah, that's right. And and I think I think that is. One of the best ways to come out of quitting is that, you know, if you did get into it in the first place, you know that there's a route for growth Mm -hmm. or an opportunity there. Mm -hmm. And while you may get bottled up in that corner of quit, you know that you've got to get out of that corner Mm -hmm. and that you can get out of that corner. You just may not want to admit it at first or think that it's possible in that state of mind. Mm -hmm. So once you kind of get out of that state of mind or you get in that fight or flight mentality, and I literally named a company that because that was the situation I got into three years ago. It was fight or flight. It was either quit, bail, bankruptcy, or fight out of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's the mentality you have to adopt, you know. When, when an animal gets attacked, that's why they call it that fight or flight response, right? Because they have two options, die, literally, mm-hmm. or fight and try to, try to live and, and keep going. And so it's the same thing with entrepreneurship. You, you've got to get that fight or flight mentality when you get to that quitting spot and know that you can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's because you don't want to let your employees down. Maybe it's because you don't want to let your investors down, mm-hmm. your family, whoever else. But at the end of the day, you, still have, you started with a mission. And so if you have a true why of some kind, then I feel like that's going to be your, the kind of a guiding North Star over anything mm-hmm. is that why. And you're going to be realize that when you're in that quitting men- mindset mentality. And even though you might work through all the different ways on how you can quit or how you can make it feasible mm-hmm. or exit, that's going to be what's going to bring you back out of it. Yeah, and it also makes me think too, um, you know, of course we talk a lot about entrepreneurship, but if there are listeners that are not yet entrepreneurs or you're employed, um, that why is very much the same for anybody, regardless of the position, their employment position that they're in. I was talking with a friend um, who was trying to consider moving on from their current position for an employer to something new. And she was talking with her manager about it. And he said, have you accomplished in this position what you said you were going to do? What is it here that you wanted to accomplish in, in your current role? 
And have you accomplished it? Because if you have, it probably is time to move on. But if you haven't, what can you say for yourself? Mm-hmm. So again, just having that clear distinction of, of why you're doing something and what it is you're trying to accomplish, I think is really important and, for and, pulling and, yourself out of that quitting. And, and that's, a, that's a really good point. I, I, and, and, you know, and there might be some times where, you know, hey, it is time to change a course on something or, or whatever. But, you know, I think you really want to ask yourself, you know, what does, what does my end game look like, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, if I am in some position and there's literally nowhere to go up, do I still want to be doing this 20 years from now, right. you know? Um, or, you know, if, if, say, the answer was no to that for, like, Matt and, like, being in the health food business, well, let me uh, let me plan an exit out of this, right, mm-hmm. instead of, you know, I, I quit today and I shut everything down and, you know, just have an emotional kind of reaction. But, but I, I find people that don't do this a lot. You know that they don't think about like mm-hmm. not just what if this doesn't work out, but hey, what if this succeeds? You right. Know? Yeah. I was talking to somebody that was in like a network marketing thing the other day, and they're thinking about quitting, and and uh, they were like, uh, we were talking about it, and I was like, well, if you were super successful and, and achieved all the things you wanted to achieve in this, and, and you're living that life of this, you know, network marketing person at the top of the the chart or whatever, does that life is that a life you want to live every day? And they were like. Well, no, I don't think it is. It's like, Correct. well, you probably shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> yeah, you know? your why is not there anymore. Right. Yeah, you, exactly. You don't have that North and, Star. And, and I think our, our, and sometimes our why changes along the way, and, and, and then maybe it is. But, but you know, that day-to-day, we all have that day-to-day, like, gut, like, oh, man, I just, you know, this is hard. I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I can do this tomorrow and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's two different things. I think a lot of it comes back to separating yourself, like we were talking earlier, separating yourself from the immediate emotions and really mm-hmm. looking at the big picture, mm-hmm. looking at the forest instead of looking at that tree of, hey, today is today sucks. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and surrounding yourself by people that you can allow yourself to be vulnerable around and share yes. your struggle. And, um, you know, again, the social media, man, is like kryptonite whenever you get into one of those positions where you're feeling like, oh, I just want to throw the towel in because very rarely are you going to pull up social media and see somebody like on a boat with like their... <laughs> fabulous spouse or whatever um and being like that really fires me up good for them you know, <laughs> you know uh, so consequentially yesterday i saw andy frisella post that uh he's like i'm gonna keep going with this chip on my shoulder mm-hmm. and he's like so the other day we were looking at this property and i said yeah i'm gonna put my helicopter pad right there and my friend said who do you think you are <laughs> and he's like and that just kind of stuck with me and so you know it was eating at me through the day and like later I just messaged him and I was like you know what I'm gonna get that helicopter I don't even really want a helicopter but now I'm gonna get it you know because you get that chip on your shoulder and you're like fine if someone tells me I can't do it then I'm gonna do it and so sometimes like that's definitely one way I'm motivated too like if you tell me I can't and so sometimes me telling myself that I can't you know it's it's that good check of like what do you mean you can't? Like right. you have to prove to yourself that you you can. Yeah. Um, and especially someone else like man I wish that every time I felt like I was needed to quit or wanted to quit that someone would be like, yeah, you probably can't do it anyways because I promise you I would pop out with a fire <laughs> every single time, you know. So I uh, want to kind of segue into our last topic here for the, today, um, talking about managing people um, and also dig into like, you know, kind of guiding and, and disciplining them too. Mm-hmm. This is a tough subject, man. Like, I, it probably took me, out of the nine years I've been doing this, I bet I failed for eight, eight and a half of them. It's, it's tough, but, you know, it's the, I think it's the biggest 
multiplier or, or you know, divider or whatever you want to call it is the biggest positive or negative thing you're going to do for any organization, right? Because, you know, your people, each one of your people are going to make a thousand little decisions every day that are going to be positive or negative for your company. And those are going to compound to the good or the bad over time. So, you know, you have to work so hard to, and, and man, I made so many mistakes on hiring, managing, all that kind of stuff. I was, you know, fortunate or unfortunate to, you know, be hiring and managing people and, and firing people and all that at like 22, something like that. So, you know, I, I started out like way too optimistic about people and be like, oh man, this person's gonna be awesome. Trust right? everybody. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I think there was a Steve Jobs quote, right, that said something like, you know, you think getting the right person in a position is going to be like 10% better than the wrong person, mm-hmm. but it's actually like a thousand X better than the wrong person. Because, you know, it, you're going to lead people and you're going to manage people as, as the organization's uh, head or as the entrepreneur, but those folks are going to, they're going to make decisions about what, you know, how quickly to respond to that email or to, to go, you know, start an email campaign of their own or, you know, to even be at their desk or are they out back playing, you know, Clash of Clans on their iPhone or whatever. There's, so there's all these little decisions and, and you can't, you know, I think early on a lot of us feel like, oh, I can kind of be in there and like manage every step of the way, right? Uh, and, and for me, you know, I, I've just never figured out how to do that. For me, it's always been about get the best people you can, mm-hmm. point them in a direction and, you know, there's there certainly organizations who work differently, right? Like, I don't know, McDonald's or something. It's like all, every, everything is all scripted out, and they, it's almost interchangeable parts that people are. But mm-hmm. I think most of the kind of businesses most of us are trying to build are, you know, it, it's very heavily driven by your employees' thoughts and actions oh, and all sure. that sort of stuff. So, so do you feel like you have any past employees that you're like, man, I did a really bad job there. Like, they might hate me, actually. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and, and I've, you know, and I've been the type that is – as soon as I've decided, I, I've learned to, as soon as you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach that somebody shouldn't be there. Or I, I had this rule put to me one time, it's always stuck with me, like if the idea of the employee not being there, like if they walked into the day and quit, if, if that relief, if you feel relieved at that idea, like they shouldn't be there, mm. right? Um, and I was like, you know, that, that is probably a really good rule of thumb. But do you have any, you feel like maybe we're good people, but you just led r- incorrectly? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think there were certainly some that I probably didn't. I, it was really, I just wasn't honest enough with them as we went along. You know, I, I think that's one of the biggest things is to, in any kind of relationship, really, is to be honest as you go along. Like, hey, you know, you, you ought to be doing better here. You ought to be doing better there. Or, like, you're doing well here. But, you know, this. And, and so I would, one of the biggest traps that I would fall into early on was I would not be honest enough with them on a day-to-day basis and it would kind of build up and then I'd just be like you know fire their <laughs> ass right get them yeah. out of here yeah you know and uh you know so I I think that's one of the biggest things it, it's hard to have that day-to-day just honesty sometimes for some of us you know I, I'm definitely more uh, of somebody who's trying to make people feel good and things like that um, I think that open line of communication is everything <clears throat> and that goes both both ways. You know, I was actually talking last night with <coughs> one of my employees for Apparel Lab, and uh, you know, she works for DHR on a regular basis. And she's like, "Yeah, you know, we've had a lot of turnover. I keep getting more cases put on me because I am on top of everything." And I'm like, "Well, that's that's the struggle as a manager having you know people that are stronger in your team and being able to feed them more, but then also understanding what's their breaking point mm-hmm. um, and where they're doing too much, um, or that this is a." 
that you know, a time-based thing. Like they can handle more now to get us caught up, but they can't handle this workload forever. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. I said, so it's both a, <clears throat> it's a two-way communication thing. Like one, as a manager, I've had my best experiences actually sitting down with an employee and going, hey, let's talk about the pink elephant in the room. What's going on with you? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and getting, like you said, like it's, it's, it's an open and honest conversation on both ends because mm-hmm. you have to, they're not always going to tell you things and you're not always going to tell them things. But you have a responsibility to one another to, for that communication to go both ways. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> both feeding into them and asking them like, hey, you know, what, what, what are we doing here? Like, am we, are we doing things good? Can we do things better? You know, and asking for yourself for some approval. But then they also need to tell you, hey, this is what I need or this is what's going on for me. Because as much as she may take on this extra case right now and be able to handle it for a time being, if they keep doing this, she's going to get in a position where she's going to crumble because she's going to have so much of a workload. But if she's open and honest with her manager too up and says like, hey, I'm happy to do this. Like I get it. We're under staff right now and I'll work my tail off to, to, get, to manage these cases to my best ability. But if I had this workload all the time, it would break me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think that in the, in the hiring process, or it just along the way, talking to your people and saying, hey, I need feedback too. Yeah, like, totally. pl- please I, give me feedback. Like, that is, it's a great manager principle, I think, to ask for feedback openly. But you can't do this at the employee meeting in front of all the employees because no yeah. one's going to do it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. But personally, one-on-one, like letting them know, hey, I really do want you to give me some feedback here. Like, let me know how you're feeling. Let me know if, if we're putting too much on you. You know, and if you've got the right people in place, they're not just going to cry wolf and say, it's too much, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to build businesses, um, <clears throat> even if like, all the facts were known, right? It, it would still be hard. So it, it becomes impossible if one side is keeping from the other relevant information about, you know, performance or things that are happening or not happening. Uh, that's one of the biggest problems in big organizations, right, is information gets kind of distorted as it goes through layers of people. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know open communication, man. That's that's totally, that's really where where all this at. You know, I heard a a line from Jocko Willink not long ago, uh, former Navy, Navy Navy SEAL commander and today a business consultant and author, uh, and he was talking about you know that really all this business stuff, it's really not complicated, and really the military is not complicated. He's like, hey, Navy SEALs, like we run a room, we kill some bad guys. Uh, you know, I've got a gym. But we're trying to get uh, you know more money coming in than we have going out. Like it's really not complicated. All the complexity comes in dealing with all these people mm-hmm. and what are their wants and needs and what can they do and you know what are they doing on a day to day basis. And I was like, you know, that's really simple, but that's really profound. I mean, that's really true. Like, really, most of our business models or things we want to do, it's really not that complicated. Mm-hmm. What does become complicated is all the people involved. Getting them on the same page and with the same goal, marching to. Mm-hmm the same beat well and helping them to want to learn more too Mm -hmm. you know I was thinking about the other day there's so many people in line to teach or educate but there's very few in line to learn Mm -hmm. you know and I think that as much as a leader as you want to try to learn and become a better leader you have to also try to engage your people and to want to learn and become better too Mm -hmm. you know and I had some uncomfortable conversations with one of my managers currently um, about that very thing like I really want you to become better not Mm -hmm. because like I need you to be better because you're not good at your job but because I just want you to to be better Mm -hmm. and so when you do leave here like I want you to leave and have more skill and how can I help with that Mm -hmm. and like I'm pretty sure it offended them and but I'm glad that it did because at some point along the way 
I didn't manage that that situation correctly, but my other manager did, and then invited them to start learning some things, listening to some podcasts, and like, I, I mean, he's taken huge leaps forward personally and in in his managerial skill by actively learning. And it wasn't just like leadership and, and manager skills that he's listening to; it was just educating himself. Like yeah. the, just the process of educating himself has taken him so much further, and also made him a great leader for his team. Now his team is educating themselves, and they're like they're all on board. And I think passing down that learning principle for me is is so big. Yeah. And, and kind of teaching them like, hey, there's always room to learn. Well, and again, to Trey's point about it getting tricky for the individual and the individual personality that get, is involved in all these moving pieces, um, you've got to know when the individual needs to be pushed. So mm-hmm. while you maybe feel like you didn't handle that as well, probably because it was uncomfortable for you, it's almost like being a coach. You don't want to be the person that has to tell the athlete or whoever that they're underperforming in an area. But in order for them to really grow, you sometimes need to break that news to them and be I, the person I, that pushes them. I agree. Them. I think that's so important, though. Like, I, I got, that was what I used to always shy away from, you know, was that kind of communication. But, you know, I came to, the, to feel like um, you owe it to that person. To, really, it's more about us. Like, like, not giving them that feedback is really not so much about sparing their feelings as that we don't want to do it as a manager because yeah. it sucks, you know. <laughs> but it's like they deserve to get that information, and then what they do with it's up to them, right? They can be proactive, and they can fix their problem, and they can keep their position, or, or, or they cannot, you know. But it's a whole lot better than what I used to do, which was just kind of, not bring it up or lightly bring it up, and then I kind of stew about it, and then I like mm-hmm. you know erupt one day, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's kind of what it became. I think we had the conversation two or three times. You know, it was like, dude, like I bought you this audiobook because you said you'd prefer an audiobook over a hard book. What are you doing here? You haven't even downloaded it yet, you know? Yeah. And it was like, how can I get you to want to learn these things? Like, well, how do we break this or like fix it? Is there is there a certain amount of time allotted here? Like, do I need to pay you for thirty minutes in the morning to listen to this thing? <laughs> like, what does it look like? How can I how can I motivate you here? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how, yeah. you know. But then one of, one of their peers says, "Hey, I think you'll love this." Like, it's a, it was about training, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Listen to this podcast," mm-hmm. and they just became enthralled. And now they're they're into multiple things like that, and yeah. it's making them so much better. To and and it's kind of broken that. Uh, I would guess, I would say that the desire. To learn, like they were kind of rejecting the the learning side of things, and then now it's like learn all the things, yeah. you know. And, and I think that's great. And so just getting some momentum. But I'm fine with con- confrontation. Like I'm I'm really okay to walk into an awkward situation now, yeah. though I may not be pumped about it. I'm gonna do it, right? You know. But I, the problem is too, Tony, that I push all the time. Like you say, you compare it to being a coach. Like mm-hmm. if you trained with me, you would see mm-hmm. how much I push everybody, now myself included. But mm-hmm. You know, and some people react differently than others. Yeah. And that's where, as a manager, uh, I would like for us to talk about understanding different people's personalities because some people do re- react really well to that push mm-hmm. and maybe they're that competitive nature. And they're like, all right, well, fine, I'm going to overdo this. Then. Yeah. And the other people may shut down. Well, it's figuring out how to push, like where the levers yeah, are. Right. And like, you know, and what, what you were talking <clears throat> about, too, that I find fascinating um, with the retail environment, which still has a very traditional setup in terms of hierarchy of you've got an owner, president, operator, and then you've got management, and then you've got your staff, right? So that's very hierarchical whenever you think about that. But you're describing how you push people and how you were able to meet your goal of getting everybody in the learning process is so flat. 
And it reminds me of, th- of what Andy Stoll from the Kauffman Foundation had to say about if you are in the business of hierarchies, get out because you're about to become mm-hmm. antiquated. So even in what could be considered the most traditional hierarchy situation for a business, you've still managed to find a way to really flatten that out where it worked best to have a peer say, uh, yeah, Matt is being like real difficult about this. I get it, but dude, it's a good book, right? It's just flattening it out. And then the ripple effect is that you've got a staff that wants to do that too because the people in the middle have you know, spread that out. So I just find that's fast, that fascinating. I'm glad you shared that. Well, and you know, even down to you know, probably one of our part-time uh, employees who works probably the least, you know, because she's in the middle of grad school, you know, she's also brought some education to the table to help teach the other team. And, like, I do like to pull from some of the other people's strengths and, like, if they're very good at a thing, like, she's very good at herbal herbal and natural supplements. She has a plethora of knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, and her having shared that with the team, too, and educating them, it also gives a push from a different direction, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's good. But you did you did hit on a very interesting point there of, like, everybody is, you know, reacts to being pushed in a different way. But I would say that most of us only know how to push in one certain way. That's true. Mm-hmm. You know, because another one of the coaches at the gym that I go to, again, he, he pushes probably harder than I push, mm-hmm. and he pushes in a very certain way. A lot of people react really well to that. A lot of people respect him, so they also listen to that. Mm-hmm. Some people, it just shuts them down. Mm-hmm. One of my good buddies I train with every now and then, like I could yell at him all day long to try to fire him up, and it's it's not going to. Mm-hmm. He's, he's actually going to have the adverse happen, and he's going to be kind of disappointed and dissatisfied that I'm having to yell mm-hmm. at him to do better. Mm-hmm. And and so that's that's the hard thing as a manager, too, is, is kind of learning that pulse on your people and what that looks like to, to motivate them differently. And it's tough mm-hmm. because I don't think in that mindset. Like, it doesn't make sense for you not to be competitive. Mm-hmm. If you're not naturally competitive, I can't put myself in your brain very well. I really have to work to try to figure out what it would be that motivates you. Do you think everybody on your team is competitive? Absolutely not. Is that part? No? No. But, I mean, many of them are. But, you know, and, and like, we'll run little challenges here and there, and you'll see some of it come out. Um, You know, I take that back. My current team, I mean, I've got a couple prior athletes in there. Um... Yeah, yeah, they're they're probably mostly competitive for the most part. I'm and maybe that's that why maybe they're just not as competitive as you are. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think some of them are probably more competitive than me. Really? Straight, yeah, but um, that sounds like a nightmare for me. Like I would be like, I'm out. I'm out. Good job, everybody. You all win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's a different mindset. And like, if you, if you're not competitive, though, I really don't get it. And I have had some prior <laughs> members on my team that were admittedly not competitive. Mm-hmm. And like, though we might get in the middle of a challenge and they may give everybody a run for a little bit, then they kind of lose interest. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's just, a, it's a culture thing, right? And we talked about that being a topic for a future podcast. And I definitely think that we should. Absolutely. Um, but just, it seems like if I was, I would almost go into being on Matt McClellan's team knowing that part of the culture <laughs> is gonna be competitiveness. I mean, I, I definitely exude competitive yeah. and I don't hide it. <laughs> Do you now in the you know interview process or recruiting process do you look for people who are you know kind of eternal learners or I mean it sounds like that's become a big criteria for you have you incorporated that into the the upfront process yet hmm uh, how do you know yeah see I don't know that that's not that's not really something you see on your resume like I guess you could ask them a question like what's the latest book you've read right. Yeah. But no one puts like, like I don't read books. Right, but the, no one, <laughs> no one. How lists. many books did you read? How 
How fast did you read them? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, no one lists the books that they've read on their resume, um, but I think that uh, any anyone who's ever played a sport, that's definitely stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the guys that is on our team now is like was offered to play on a semi-pro team multiple times. Like he's tried out for multiple semi-pro teams wow. and played ball in college, basketball, which is a sport that I have no bearing in, right? So it's a whole different skill level. But like that's one of those things when you're a baller, like you're a, you're a true baller, like you live that life. And if anybody ever has to play a pe- game of pickup, like you're all in. Yes. You know, like this guy's going to crush me if I ever played basketball against him, right? But yeah, it, does, it definitely does trigger me. I've hired prior soccer players, prior track athletes, uh, prior basketball players, prior baseball players. So yeah, looking back at my team now, there is kind of a true competitive thing. And anytime I've read that, that they did play a sport, it did stand out to me because it does mean some things about the way they interact on a team, um, the way that they drive themselves as, as, you know, to be skillful at something um, because it's, it's not easy, especially in college athletics. Like I know that that's not easy and you have so many more pressures on you uh, from school and living a life and being a college athlete, like it's hard, I've lived it. So having lived that, I have respect for anybody that does uh, have any kind of college athletics on their resume. It feels like that, to me, it's felt like that's a big positive thing to especially see on sales resumes, right? Like in, like in Tango Tango, we have a rep that you know, Beck, yeah. uh, who like, you know, hasn't paid for Chick-fil-A in five years because he travels around and wins the Chick-fil-A 5Ks or whatever, you know, and you get free Chick-fil-A for a year or whatever, uh, you know, and you just, you, you definitely do that. Definitely is a positive, especially in something like sales, where it's like, "Hey, you got to get it done. You got to get it done by this date. Like it has to happen." Or you know, and, and folks that have that competitive fire, it's like, well, and before they're going to go find a way to do it, right? And if bef- they have to run into that wall ten times, they're going to run into it over and over until it breaks down. Sort yeah. Of thing. And before he was in sales, he was running cross country with me, and he was competitive there. Yeah. So I think that competitive nature does drive through things, but it's not. It's not the only thing like to getting a competitive person. They don't have to have always been that competitive person, I don't yeah. think either. Because I've got, uh, you know, the prior manager I was talking about before, while, while I do feel like he is super competitive now, I feel like he was extremely humble coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't, while he might have been mildly competitive, like it wasn't just standing out. I did not see that on the forefront. And so, Did you do anything to develop that in I, him or in, in the culture there? I don't think it's been as much me as the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll take a back seat on that one. Like, they, they've done the good job at helping to harness that and challenge it. But it's funny now, too, because even, you know, a lot of my team, especially the managers, now communicate really well with some of these brand uh, owners and CEOs because they're very active on social media. And so one of the brand owners, like, gives him a hard time all, all the time about being tiny or, like, not being <laughs> as strong as him. And it's fun to see this little rivalry. Like, but this, this jab back and forth, the fun, playful jabs back and forth drives at that competitive nature. And that will get that, you know, get someone riled up and, like, bring it out of them. So while he might not have been extremely competitive from the get, you know, initially in it, um, now those small jabs over time, like, mother manager be like, oh, come on, man, like, you, you know, it's all right. I can do more than you. And, and that it builds it a little bit. Um, so that's that's been interesting. Mm-hmm. But people, the people, the people side of things to me is the hardest to figure out. Cause you can't sum it up in just one snippet, or you can't just give somebody a checklist. To me, it's like it's not. Everybody is unique, but for the most part, it's almost like you can put people into like baskets. But there's like a hundred different baskets. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And mm-hmm. until you just have experience with all those different kinds of people, it's hard to be like, oh, well, this person will probably be motivated by this. You know, so. Do you have any, any sort of advice for folks as it comes to closely managing a team like that at the ground level? 
I think that having everybody have fun together is is important, you know. Um, and that doesn't always mean the traditional sense of team building. Like we've done team building activities together. We've gone to jump on trampolines. We've gone to Ninja Obstacle Academy. Mm-hmm. You know, we've gone to an escape room. And like those were always a lot of fun. And it did bring some of the team members together that maybe don't work with each other as much because they're in separate locations like Decatur or Huntsville. But I think just, you know, bringing them together where they can meet one another and learn about one another in any scenario is good. And it can be a team meeting, you know. Hey, pass me the ketchup. Hey, pass me the jelly. Like Develop something like that. Out of that. Getting just. relationships between the team is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, if they don't know each other, then they're not going to work well together, and that the culture's shot. Um, but if they genuinely like each other too, I mean, I, I know that you know one of my managers developed a prior employee by the same way. You know, just like investing in him personally. Like he started, he didn't have the killer team discount on product when he first started, but obviously cared about fitness. And so he just, like, bought him a stack and was like, hey, man, I want you to go ahead and, like, get to your goals. Mm-hmm. And, like, it just really sent this message. It wasn't that much money for him, and but it sent this message that he cared. And that caring for someone else on your team, like, you can't put a dollar on that ever. Um, and it's, it's, it's not always so organic to build that you can't just build that care and that camaraderie between mm-hmm. your team members. Mm-hmm. But the more that you can put people in a position to – become friends on a team like it's it's both a blessing and a curse right because you got the friends that take up for the friend but then you've also got the friends that keep the, the, the team together that glue mm-hmm. of your team and that also help them to when they need a backup you know the other day manager like his back is killing him one of our employees that works like once once every other week uh came in at, on a whim like just i'll be there you go to the doctor mm-hmm. you know and and that's huge mm-hmm. i mean you know i told him hey i really appreciate you doing this like hey he would do it for me yeah and and, and that that speaks leaps and bounds for my team and I can't say that that's been me developing all that you know maybe maybe I do care for them and that does show some example but I can't take credit for all that like that's them caring about one another and they have to kind of build some of that themselves you are a person that is that way like you're a very loyal and helpful person too so I mean don't you know discredit that that is from your leadership I think you probably just are humble and unaware of it um and it it goes back to being humble and it goes back to setting the culture and the tempo and the expectations for your team because it is really <clears throat> going to be a lasting current throughout. Yeah, and, and that's a good point because, you know, I was looking through uh, Andy Fertel's brother, uh, Sal, who runs First Form now, is uh, a friend of mine. And uh, I follow him on Instagram and he just, man, he's super into social media, like the stories. Mm-hmm. And he was posting things about his different days back and forth um, yesterday. And then you know, he posts one and says, you know, he was showing, like, being and speaking in front of his crowd on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, like, in front of his whole team, motivating him and everything else. And he says, then, to be clear, I am lucky to be able to work with the people I do every single day. But then he follows that up with, but then again, we built that too. Right. And so you're right about that. Like, it is one of those things where, you know, you think, man, they've, they've, they're really doing this culture. Like, they're the ones bringing each other together. But you started it somewhere. You lit the fire. Right. You know, and so while I, while I say I don't want to take credit for that, yeah, we absolutely we absolutely did build that starting from, you know, I cared about somebody, right? And uh, then they, they carried that principle over. I think that's an example of like where you don't even realize it because you're, you're you're close to it when you're the founder, but the founder has such a profound fingerprint on the whole future of the company's culture, right? Mm-hmm. Because probably those early people you pick, who maybe are making later hiring decisions, are probably something like you, or you liked them, you saw something in them, right? And, you know, uh, they, they say organizations become like a reflection of their leader, you know. So 
I, I think that's again where getting the right people, you know, picking the right people is so important, you know, and, and it, is, it does become all about them once they're in there, but early on, you're the one picking them, and, and all those decisions they make, uh, they're really going to have a big impact on the organization, you know. Yeah, you're right, and, and you know, to validate that further, I, I've got a, a team member who is a part-timer who took a pay cut to come from GNC to work for us, and then ended up becoming a manager over, over time, and uh, then ended up having to leave the company. Um, when he and his wife had a child um, to find something that was a little less time consuming. Mm -hmm. And at the time he was telling me, I love it. Like, I hate that I have to make this move, but I have to make this move for my family. And I understood. I thought that he was blowing smoke, you know, my ass about loving it and like this being what he woke up and and wanted to do every day Mm -hmm. until he went through a plethora of jobs and then came back and wanted to work again Mm -hmm. because he did love it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, he wasn't kidding. Mm -hmm. Like he really does like to be here. We've Mm -hmm. we've built something decent here, you know, that he does want to come back and be a part of our team. And that was very gratifying um, that I realized I didn't screw up too much, (laughs) right? (laughs) that, That something I did made somebody want to come back to work for me. And I actually have had people who have left and then come back a couple times, yeah. um, as well as even employees that I have fired and mm-hmm. let go who have still come back to shop with us and been friendly with me. Yeah. And that's where I realized that something I'm doing is working right. and something I'm doing is, is going in the right way. And it's, it's definitely in the way that I'm treating people, even when I'm firing them, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they want to still come back and support the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've like fired people and sat there and like counseled them for 20 minutes afterward or whatever, you know, and we've had a bunch of folks leave and come back as well through the years uh, either to work or even just to hang out or whatever and, and you know and I think there's a lot to that right uh, my dad told me you know rather crudely one time that you know um, you know be careful how you treat people because sometimes the ass you kick today is the ass you're gonna have to kiss tomorrow mm-hmm. you know because you see it over and over people turn up again either in your business or they end up in the customer side or they end up mm-hmm. in an influencer somewhere you know and it sounds like you're really treating people the right way. And, and I, to me, that's the, the key to long-term success because, you know, I, I know of other folks who have burned, you know, a series of people and, um, you know, people talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you get that reputation and, and you're going to miss out on, on opportunities and, and things. Um, so it sounds like you really built the right kind of team at App State. I sure hope so. But, you know, we're, we're running short on time here, but I did want to talk about briefly about employee discipline because that's something I, I've mm. gotten wrong for so for so many years and I feel like I still get it wrong on occasion but you know the scolding versus praising the the good things they do how do you balance that Trey to make sure that you're getting the right behavior because it's it's so easy to fall into that mentality of scolding or discipline every time something's wrong yeah. and and me personally like I'm I'm terrible with words of affirmation or praise mm. And so I don't do enough of telling people they do a good job when they do a good job. Yeah. But then I constantly look at the negative behaviors and, and do discipline or, or focus on that. And it's not because I'm a negative person. That's just the way I, I operate, unfortunately. And so I'm trying to change that. Mm-hmm. So how do you handle, you know, basically guiding people to do the right things and, and kind of discipline when there is something wrong? Yeah, you know, I, and, and I think that's probably where you and I work well together, Matt, because I've probably been the other way. I've probably been toward giving people a lot of words of affirmation, and it's harder for me to do the discipline. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, it's they're, they're both critically important in getting that, that mix. You know, you hear the old corny uh, compliment sandwich thing, you know, mm-hmm. for like employee uh, reviews or whatever, where like you're supposed to give them a compliment, and then you tell them what they need to fix, and you finish up with another compliment. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's corny and cheesy, but I do think, uh, just like a lot of cliches, there's there's something to that. Um, 
you know, and, and I think a lot of this, you know, it ties into so much else that we talked about, the whole realm thing, right? Like we're always, it's very easy to take for granted all the stuff we have and all the stuff that's going right. And we fixate on the thing we wish were different, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that's a real easy thing to do with our employees, with our spouse, with our friends, right? It's real easy to be like, oh man, well, I wish they were doing, doing this different. And like, you get all bent out of shape about that and you just get on their ass about it, you know? And then you're not telling them, oh man, and you're not even thinking about sometimes all this awesome stuff that they do every day and how everything would fall apart if they weren't there or whatever. So, you know, I, I just, I think, it, you know, it's something you want to try to be intentional about. I mean, a lot of this probably reveals my personality, but I think you want to just be, try to be intentional and be less reactionary, less emotional about, oh man, they just did this thing. I'm, I'm going to like, I'm pissed off right now and I'm going to react. It's uh, somebody told, actually told me one time a long time ago, uh, that was kind of an early mentor to me, had been a leader in a lot of organizations. Uh, he told me, uh, you know, that if you're angry about something and you're going to talk to an employee about it, go sleep on it and then mm-hmm. talk to them about it the next day when yeah. you're not mad. One, one of my famous failures in employee discipline was years ago when I, I had a manager in Decatur. Man, and he was a stud. Like, customers loved him. He's great at sales. Like, the store was doing extremely well. And I went in late one night. I can't remember what for. And I go into the bathroom and it's just like pee all over the toilet. Like it was no, it was disgusting. Like worse than gas station bathroom. And I took a picture of him and sent him this angry email at eleven thirty at night. And his reaction to that the next day, I mean, I'll never forget it because it was like, you know, he was he was just so blown away and felt like he had done everything wrong when he was such a stud and I was focusing on this menial thing, yes, that needs to be fixed. Like, it's not okay. Right, right. But sending him that email, that angry email at 1130 at night was such a failure because I wasn't sending the right message there. I wasn't telling him, hey man, we need to be, we need to do better about making sure this stays clean for customers. Like, you care about your customers, they love you, make sure that you're caring about their, you know, their facilities that they use too. That would have been a better way to approach that. Instead, I send this angry email with pictures of this nasty toilet that just like completely catches him off guard and demotivates him the next day. Yeah. And that was just like, it was a hard check for me when I realized what I had done. That, you know, why in the world would that be the number one focus for me mm-hmm. as a manager when some, we have someone so great on your team? Right. And the, you know that they're wondering about that too, right? That's yeah. Because it's their job to make sure that you're happy. So if <clears throat> when they are not at work and you are and that's what they think is going through your head, yeah. that is going to be a huge blow to them. Yeah. And, and like I said, I failed at this for years. So like I had another manager where it was the same thing, like he was awesome. Su- yeah. I mean, he was awesome, like really cared about me and the business, cared about all his customers, did great. And every time I would come in, I would find something that was wrong and be like, hey, we got to fix this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't realize that I was nitpicking. And, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just what I noticed. Like I noticed things out of place. It's just a habit of mine. Like I don't even do it intentionally. Yeah. And, you know, one time he's like, Matt, every time, I, you know, you come in, like I, I just I look I don't look forward to it because you come in and then you just tell me this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and you know I, I'm over here busting my ass for you man and yeah. you know I feel like I'm doing so well but then you just tear me down and it, and like this guy I have such a soft spot for this guy because he's just a great human being he's one of my best friends and when he told me that it really just put it in perspective for me of mm-hmm. like what are you doing to your team yeah you yep. know like you've got to stop this like even if you notice it. You've, there's a better way to go about it or a time to talk about it. Because if they literally fear you coming in each time because you're going to find these things wrong, mm-hmm. something's got to change, mm-hmm. Matt. Mm-hmm. You, know? Yeah, I, and I, you know, I grew up watching, my dad was very much that style. Uh, I grew up watching him do that. 
and I kind of came to, to feel like, you know, that there's times where that little thing that we wish were different, um, it's almost not even worth correcting if it's going to cause some big morale problem. Or, or usually you can calm, if you, if you just wait a bit and calm down, you can phrase it in a way, you know. But man, when I, especially like when I was under 30, certainly under 25, you know, I had quite a, I could have quite a bad temper at times. And uh, I just came to realize, you know, like, Oh, I was an asshole. Very Straight rarely up. do you get a better outcome by taking an action when you're when you're pissed off. You know what I mean? And there might be a time or two where, like, oh, maybe it makes you stand up for yourself or whatever. But generally speaking, you're going to make a worse decision. And that, you're going to have come off worse. I had an admin that worked with me for a time that probably taught me the best lesson for both for any negative situation lifelong, and that was to respond, not to react. Mm-hmm. Yes. And ever That's since she's told yeah. that to me. Like, it has stuck with me since that day, and I really try to examine my behavior when I'm making a knee-jerk reaction to something versus trying to respond to a situation. Like you said, the sleeping on it or sitting on it for a little while, figuring out a different way to approach it, going away for an hour, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's so much better than the reaction because you're you're not going to get the point across. You're not going to approach it the correct way, uh, and more than, more than likely, you're just going to inflame the situation. Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't even need inflamed. I mean, it, it's too yeah. when you see something that doesn't sit well with you or you think it, an expectation isn't being met that you have, if you are able to give it a break and, and take some time away to evaluate, does this even need a response? A lot of times, a lot of those expectations are, I would have done it differently. And does it need to be done that way? Sometimes it doesn't, as long as it gets done, as long as nothing. Yeah. Okay, so the peace situation, like clearly, clearly that, needed, clear, better, that but, needed cleaned up. But, but, yeah, sometimes it's a personal preference. But, right? but, but, but again, going back to that situation too, that's improper training on my part. Mm. And, and that was another big management lesson learned was in order to be able to discipline people for things, you've got to make sure that you train them well. That's right. So mm-hmm. the first time that I see a failure now and I realize that it's something that they're not doing correctly, that I, I realize I probably haven't trained it properly. Mm-hmm. That's my first go-to mm-hmm. is to retrain on mm-hmm. the scenario mm-hmm. now because I've learned that my communication was probably poor, mm-hmm. or I, my procedure was mm-hmm. terrible. And, you know, that's a great point. That's really the best way to think about any problem in your organization. You know, and then and if you know you have taught that point and they're just not doing it, that's a different issue. But you're you're dead on. I think nine times out of ten, that's most people want to do a good job. You know, and it's usually on us. It, it's on us as leaders, right? Um, uh, you know, you have that training breakdown, um, and, and and I think that's just a, a so much more healthy mindset for your organization of, hey, this was on me, I should have done better, I'm gonna do something proactive and fix it going forward. That's so much better than just being like, you know what, this person's this person's a dipshit and they don't need to be Yeah, pass the, pass the blame, pass the buck. It's, yeah. ne- it's never the solution there. And you know, another just famous failure, that same dipshit manager. Such a good <laughs> <laughs> People don't use that word enough, I'm sorry. I really don't. <laughs> Do we have a moment for dipshit? <laughs> <laughs> so that, this is that same manager that's now a great friend of mine. Uh, literally quit on me on the phone one time uh, because, I, and I can't remember the situation specifics. I just remember I dug into him something and he said, you know what, Matt, I'm done. I quit. Come get the keys. And it, it really took me aback and was like, what did I just do? Yeah. yeah. And I drove out to Hartzell and I went and I sat down and talked with him. And I realized, again, just these massive personal failures as a manager that I kept digging into them. And just, it was the same situation. It was little praise, lots of critique, mm-hmm. and uh, that I really had to change that, 
you know, because I'm sending the wrong messages, even though I, I was not intentionally sending the wrong messages. Like my, my goal is not to break people down or make them feel like they're doing a bad job. Mm -hmm. That was never my intent, mm -hmm. but it's what was happening. You know, perception is reality. So if that's how they feel and that's how they perceive what I'm telling them, mm -hmm. then that's what's going on and mm -hmm. I've got to fix it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. and, and you know, and, and, and that's something that I've, I've learned the hard way, um, flying off the handle on somebody and uh, on several people through the years. and. You know, you come to realize, like, there's some things, it's so easy for something to come out of your mouth. It just takes a quarter of a second for your brain to think it and it to come out. But there's some things that once you say them to somebody, you can't ever take them back. Mm -hmm. You know, the relationship's never quite the same. Right. And, uh, you know, you, so I think that's something you really, that's another reason it's so beneficial to take a step back, you know, disconnect from your emotions a little bit, respond, don't react. Right? Yeah. And I think, too, um, Matt, for the general question of how do you adequately discipline and what works, um, you know, just like anything in life, I think trying to remove the emotion from it, expectation setting, taking a step back and looking at what are the systems and processes mm -hmm. that are in place that clearly communicate what those expectations are. Do they need to be tweaked to prevent this from happening again? And that helps manage some of the complexity that Trey you brought up around how someone is going to respond to it or mm -hmm. what their per, how their personality is going to handle that um, and it really doesn't become a person a person b conversation it's a here are the facts this yep. is how we do that you didn't do it or it didn't get done so what are we going to do now you and, know what the consequence is and that that's such a good point also that's so helpful and clarifying i think and of course what makes it hard is like say early stage startups sometimes for sales or something, maybe you don't know what's even realistic, None of that what can be done, right? <laughs> right. But once you, you know, once you have those expectations and it can be a very objective conversation, like, hey, look, these goals weren't met, how can I help you meet them? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a, so much more productive place to be than, because it's very easy to kind of hire people and say, hey, I sort of want you to do this, and then they don't even really know what's expected yeah. of them. They don't know if they're doing a good job or not, right? For sure. You know, Something that you mentioned a couple minutes ago to Matt, just to kind of circle back and maybe close out today's uh, podcast is um, when you are finally able to take a step back and see some of those relationships that you've cultivated through what you've built, or you're able to take a step back and you're able to see, hey, we did meet those goals, or I can remember when my goal was so much lower um, I think that it is so powerful for the person who constantly is putting pressure on themselves and, and pressure on what they're building to succeed and be productive, um, that that can really pull you out of that rut, can really help mitigate some of the burnout and those feelings of quitting. And so for our listeners, um, if you ever do find yourself in a position, you know, having one of those moments in the day or days of the week or days in the month where you just really feel like throwing the towel in, take a step back, talk to somebody about it and say, hey, like this is a crap day, right? Like maybe come to a speaker series event, have a drink, have some food, listen to somebody talk and um, take a step back, think about what you've built or what you're trying to do. Um, and you know, that's truly why we do this podcast and, and why we have Urban Engine is to kind of help each other through that. So hopefully today's podcast was helpful to anybody who's listening in. Um, so with this is our third 
third episode, which means that if anybody has been following along at this point, um, we're now live, and we would love to hear from our listeners if there are topics that you want us to cover or people that we, we could maybe reach out to bring on the show to talk about topics or you know, ask questions to. Matt and Tony and Trey are all here to help make that happen. So please, um, comments and emails and all the things this is for you. Thanks for listening, guys. And what's a good email for that? Oh, uh, admin at urbanengine.org. All right. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for listening in. Really appreciate it. And what Tony was just talking about is so huge. Gratefulness and thankfulness. I think that's the best way to pull yourself out of that situation and really take a hard look at what you've done. For sure. Yep. All right, guys. We'll see you all next time. Bye.